June 18, 1973, exactly six days after I was born. Six days after I was born, a native of New Hampshire by the name of Ray Lamontine, um, a, song, a singer and a songwriter, he released his sixth studio album. And one of the most memorable songs in that album is titled Trouble. Hmm. Trouble. He says, Trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. Trouble's been dogging my soul ever since I was born. He says, worry, 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 worry. Worry just will not seem to leave my mind alone. Feels like every time I get back on my feet, she comes around and knock me down again. And somehow the lyrics of this song expresses vividly what you and I feel internally, what many of us feel internally, that life is hard, and we just can't seem to catch a break. Just when you think your career is about to take off, just when you think your, the, year, the trouble years of raising children is over, just when you think your marriage is taking a turn for the better, trouble is right around the corner waiting for you. And it seems like it just won't leave you alone. And troubles, trials, tribulation, they hurt. It's not a good moment. It's a hard moment. It's a dark place. And not only it hurt, but it leaves scars behind, deep scars that will be with you for a very, very, very long time. So if you're here this morning at Waters, if you feel like you're hanging on a thread, if you feel like you're on the verge of giving up, if you feel like trouble's been kicking you down and you're ready to throw in the towel, a towel I tell you don't. I tell you today's your day. I tell you today's your moment. I tell you today's your hour because God wants to speak to your trouble. And God wants to give you the tools to address your trouble. And God wants at the end of your trouble for you to say, I'm still standing. Are you ready? Amen. Let's get to the word of God. This is what God says about your trouble. The first thing he says. In James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What? <laughs> Count it pure joy when you face trials of of many kinds. Who does that? Who does that? I've never noticed anyone who skips and hops in the rain because they are going through trials. Never do I see two people sitting by a bar or sitting on a par in a park or on a bus talking to each other with a grand smile on their face because they are going through trouble. Because they have trials. Never do I experience two people jumping and high-fiving each other because and saying, can you believe this? I have trouble again. I'm going to trial again. Can you, can you believe this? And the other person says to them, 
Tell me all about it. I'm so excited about your trouble. No, never do I hear that. And I don't know for you, but how about but me? When I'm on the highway, I get a flat tire. I don't say, praise the name of Jesus. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? What, the, what is the Bible talking about? Count it all joy. Oh, no, pure joy. Get excited about it. Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. If anything, I thought the Bible would say, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you escape trial. That's when you should count it pure joy. That's what I'm thinking, but I don't know what the Bible's talking about. Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. No, count it pure joy when you escape trial. That sounds better. I mean, it makes it seem like the Bible is out of touch. What is the Bible talking about? You see, a trial, a, a trial, a tribulation, trouble, is a test of endurance for a period of time. Right? That's what trials is. A test of endurance or knowledge for a period of time. And knowing what trial is, knowing how much trial hurt, knowing the scars that trials leave behind, it sounds a little bit insensitive for the Bible to be asking me or commending me to count it as pure joy. It can make people feel again as if the Bible is out of touch with reality. How do you maintain pure joy while you're going through a divorce? Please tell me. How do you go maintain a pure joy during a foreclosure? How do you maintain a pure joy after you get fired and the bills are piling up? How do you maintain pure joy? You know, I think the best job in the United States, the best job anyone could have, you want to know? Be a second string quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> Just think about it. You playing behind Tom Brady. You never have to dirty your uniform. You never have to worry about getting knocked down or get a concussion. And then every year you get millions of dollars. What better job can you find? But if you ask any of these guys, they tell you they cannot wait for Brady to retire. They cannot wait for Brady to get hurt because they want that spot themselves. They want to be in the field. I mean, again, what better job to have to be sideline watching Patriot play and you don't have to get hurt. All you have to be is cheering. And then if they win the championship, you get a ring. <laughs> but yet this guy doesn't want that. He wants to be, even though he knows there's a possibility of getting hurt, even though he knows there's a possibility of getting a concussion, he wants to be on that field. You need me on that field. Remember that movie? I can... <laughs> no, this is what James is saying. James says, as a Christian, you should be like a second-string quarterback. When trouble comes, you don't run away from it. When trouble comes, you don't get down in the dungeon. You don't get into that dark place. James says, when trial comes, consider it as a kind of an opportunity that you cannot pass up. When trouble comes, look at it as a rare moment to show everyone as a Christian how, how, what you're made of. 
When trouble comes, James said, seize it as an opportunity to prove yourself, to prove yourself that Christianity is not, your con- is not just your preference, it's your conviction. So James answered, James says, okay, I know you asked me who does that, but I don't want to answer that yet. James says, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to answer, why do that? Why count it pure joy when troubles come? And after I do that, I'm going to tell you who does that. And then after I tell you who does that, if you're sitting here, you feel that you're not that, I'm going to tell you how to get that. And after I tell you how to get that, I'm going to tell you the benefit of doing that or not doing that. Are you ready? Good. James says in verse 3, this is what I said. He says, why you should count it as pure joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is what perseverance means. Steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay. James says, you know that when troubles come, the reason why you should have pure joy, it produces a steadfastness in you. It makes you stronger than you were before because you said, if I went through this and I'm still standing, I can face the next thing that is coming. So James says, no, 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 that's, that's just the means by, by for you to get the why, but let me tell you the why. In verse 4 he says, in verse 4 he says, he says, um, <clears throat> sorry, in verse 4 he says, uh, um, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Now let me stop here for a second before I finish reading it. Let perseverance finish its work. Sometimes some of us, it's right at the moment where God's going to deliver us and we give up. Let perseverance finish its work. Sometimes, you see, the, at the darkest moment during the night, it's when it's about to be light. It's when the day is coming. It's when the sun is about to rise. The Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So when it's the darkest in the middle of the night, that's when the sun is about to shine. So James said, let perseverance finish its work. And what happened when perseverance finished its work? So that you may be mature, come incomplete, not lacking anything. So the, be- the first benefit you get from trials, if, if you persevere, is that you become a mature Christian. You become a complete Christian and you lack nothing. Does that sound good to you, the word lacking nothing? Amen. I'd love to have that be a part of my life. You lack nothing. James says that's the first benefit. But James says there's another benefit. In verse 12, this is what James says. James says in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who persevered on the trials, because having stood the test, having gone through the, uh, persevering, having seen it through, um, at the end of the line, that person will receive the crown of life that God promised. He says, it's not just about being mature and complete. Those are the earthly things. But there's heavenly gifts that comes with it. There's heavenly reward. You can be rest assured that you will have that life that God promises. 
I mean, just think about Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, uh, Apostle, Apostle Paul says, um, um, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished the race. So therefore, there is a crown of righteousness. He's already convinced that there is a crown of righteousness. And guess what? There's no one else in the Bible that went to more trouble in trials than Apostle Paul. I want you to notice something. The Bible is not saying, blessed is the person who escaped trials. Because some of the things we think that are blessings are not. Come on, come on, come on. Sometimes you may think a raise at a job, a promotion as a job is a blessing, but now that the man is paying you, you have to give up a few Bible studies. If you used to pray with some people, now you have to tell me, I can't pray with you anymore. Some of the work you used to do for God or some of the things you used to do for the family, now you have to cut it short because now you have to service the man. It may seem like a blessing, but it may not be a blessing. So some of the things we think that are blessings may not be a blessing. So just because your life has no trial, doesn't seem like you're going through anything, doesn't mean it's a blessing. I mean, sometimes when we're looking at it, we say, we look at the, we say, wow, the grass is greener on this side. It's true. It may be greener on the side. That's because he's a landscaper. <laughs> he can make outside look good, but you don't know what, how, how it looks in the four corners in the inside. Come on, he may not know how to paint, <laughs> but he's a good landscaper. What do I mean by that? Just because the person have a smile in their face, you don't know what's inside. Amen. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know how dark inside is. Just because it's sad, everyone goes through trouble. Everyone. Whether you're Christian or not, non-Christian, everybody goes through trouble. So that's why the Bible is not even saying, blessed is the person who experiences trial. No, just because you're experiencing trial, that doesn't make you better. That, that, that's not a blessing. You're not blessed simply because you experience trial. You're not a it's not a blessing because everyone experiences trial. Trial is a common thing in life. It's either you're in a trial, you're coming from a trial, or you're going toward a trial. And that's everybody. So if you think you're going through something, I guarantee you, the person next to you is going through something else, right? You see the marriage, right, when they're together. No, but you don't know what they're going through inside of their home. So it's not just you who's going through trial. So just because you're experiencing trial is not a, it's not a benefit for you just because you're experiencing trial. Trials tend to do two things to most people. Trials make you bitter or better. Trials either makes you bitter or better. Or it could make you fold up and not hold up. That's what Charles does. So the, this is what the Bible says. Look at it clear. Blessed is the person who persevere through trials. The person who sees his crisis through the finish. The person who is still standing after everything they've been through, that person is blessed because that person will not be bitter. They get better. That person will not fold up. They hold up. And James said there are two benefits to trials. You're not going to lack anything. You're going to be complete. You're going to be mature. 
But the second thing is that you're going to receive that promise, that eternal life that God has given you. But after James says that, he moved on to verse 5 and to 8. Let us read together. Verse 5 and 8. This is what he says. My eyes are not as good as it used to be. Uh, it says, um, if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without fighting fault, and it will be given, given to them. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Most people who read that part of the scripture about that part of James says, what is James doing? James is confusing me. He started talking about trouble, trouble now he's in wisdom. How, how those two things uh, um, collate? What, what, what's going on here? No, he knows what he's doing. Right now, he's, after he tells you why you should consider trials a pure joy, an opportunity to get mature in the Lord and complete, he says, I'm going to tell you who does that. That's the question you were asking. Who does that? James says, the person who faced trial with a pure joy in the midst of trials of any kind is a person with a peculiar wisdom. Did you hear that? This person possessed a peculiar wisdom. And the accent is peculiar. Because the word peculiar means strange. I mean, do you remember that? It's strange for somebody to have pure joy in the midst of strife. Just think about it. Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Do you know where he was when he was writing that? In a Roman prison. Amen. I'm not talking about an American prison where you get three meals a day, whether you like it, you know. Three meals a day, you get heat. No, no heat. If your family don't bring you food, you don't eat. You get a beating every day or three times a day. That's where he was when he was writing to people on the outside and encouraging them and said, rejoice in the Lord always. Who does that? There's a person with a peculiar wisdom, a strange wisdom, an odd wisdom, a wisdom that you can't find, that you can't see that next to you. It's a wisdom that man does not give. It's a wisdom that is not man-made, but God-made. That wisdom is, is God-made. So therefore, when you're going through trials, James says, you look at men enough and you can't seem to find your help. He says, raise your head up high a little bit. Look to the hill from whence coming from the help, because that wisdom to look at trial right in its face and have pure joy, even though you're going through, is only God made, and God is the only one that can give it to you. So James says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So if you're sitting here and saying, okay, Pastor James, I don't have that wisdom you're talking about. Yes, it is. It's strange. It's odd. It's not a man, human made things. It's not, we weren't, we weren't born with it. We don't have it. I don't have it, Pastor James. I can't see myself with pure joy, having a smile in my face while I'm going through the things I'm going through. James says, yes, 
It's not a wisdom that is saved for a few. It's not a wisdom that is found in the chromosome of a few, of a favorite few. No, it's for everybody. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be this or that. All you have to do is ask God. So what James is saying is that that wisdom comes from prayer. You got to pray about it. You got to say, God, I'm going through, and it feels like I'm folding up. Give me the wisdom to hold up. Give me the joy to hold up. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my, is my strength. When the Lord gives you that joy, the world didn't give it to you, and no one can take it away. Whenever, when the Lord gives you that joy, no matter what goes your way, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you're going through. Because some people are looking at you and says, this thing you're going through, one after the other, you should be crazy already. Or you should be jumping out of a building and in everything. But they see you still standing. You're still smiling because of the joy of the Lord. So James said, who does that? A person who possesses a peculiar wisdom. A peculiar wisdom. And that peculiar, it's a strange wisdom. It's an odd wisdom. It's unusual to have that type of wisdom. So how do I get that wisdom? How do I get that wisdom? I do get that wisdom by asking God, simple, by prayer, spending time with God in prayer, saying, God, I need wisdom to go through what I'm going through. And listen to the word, going through. When you're with the Lord, you're not going to get stuck there. You're going to go through it. It's not going to be easy, but you'll be on the other side and say, hey, I'm still standing with a smile in my face. So that's who does that. That's the person who does that. And James says, you know, how about you? You're a Christian. You said you're a Christian. If you profess to be a Christian, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, an unusual type of people. That's who you are. You are unusual to the world. You should be odd to the world. You should be strange to the world because you belong to Jesus Christ. And because the joy of the Lord is your, your strength. But you're sitting here, you're saying, okay, Pastor James, yes, I get it. I hear what you're saying, and I hear what the Bible is saying. But I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for 10, I've been a Christian for 5, for a year, for some months now, and I don't feel like I possess that wisdom. I don't feel like I have that wisdom. How do I acquire that wisdom? Or, or is God going gonna to fault me because I don't have that wisdom? Am I going to be ridiculed? Maybe I'm upset. I should not ask God for that. No, that's what the verse, verse 6 says. Verse 6 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, verse 5, he who gives generously without fighting fault. God's not going to blame you if you don't have that wisdom. God's not going to blame you if you feel that you don't have it. God is willing and ready to give it to you. All you have to do is ask God. That's what he says. Ask him. Ask him, he will give it to you. James says, however, there's a warning. James says, let me warn you a little bit. Let me warn you a little bit. Yes, the way you get it is through prayer. But James says in verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When you ask, 
You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blowing and tossed by the wind. And that person does not receive anything from the Lord. James says, when you doubt, when you ask, do not doubt. And a lot of us here are asking ourselves, how come I don't have this? How come God has not given me this? Could you also ask yourself, have you been doubting God? After you pray, yes, you do pray. But right after you pray, you let doubt sink in. Is that really going to happen? I mean, just think about it. I've been married. My wife was here yesterday. I've been married, I've been married for 17 years now, and I've been to, with my wife for about 21, going on 22 years. And if she doubts me in the littlest of things, it, it, it hurts me. I'm like, really? After 22 years? You doubting me on this? You know, haven't I shown myself that I, 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 I do it over and over again? Why are you doubting now? So if I can feel that way, guess what the creator of the universe is feeling like? When you and I doubt him, the one who created this world, the one in him we breathe and move and have our being, the one that makes everything work, who owns everything. When you doubt him, how does that make him feel? He says, if you doubt me, you will not receive a thing from me. So what? So therefore, you got to believe. You got to believe. You got to have faith. You got to trust God. That's what the Bible, that's what James is saying. You got to trust God. So then, yes, you got to have faith. You got to believe you have trust. Well, how do I get that faith to pray so that I could get that wisdom to face trials with pure joy? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 7, Paul says, faith come by hearing. Faith come by hearing, hearing the word of God. Faith come by hearing hearing. That's what faith means. It means to trust. It means to believe. How do you get it? You get it through the Word of God. You get it by coming to church. You get it by going to small group. You get it by going on the Wednesdays. You get it by reading your Word yourself, by listening to it, by getting acquainted with the Word of God. And the more you do, you begin to have faith because this 66 book is God's resume. Amen? This is his resume. He says, here's my resume. I'm the man for the job. Go read it and see what I've done and what I'm doing and what I'm about to do. He says, I've never failed before. You can trust me. I'm the man for for the job. So this is God's resume. You got to read the resume if you're going to hire somebody. If you're going to trust in them, you got to get to know them a little bit. And then Paul is saying, yes, faith come by hearing. But James is saying something more profound. James says, yes, Apostle Paul is right. Faith come by hearing. But you could have faith in God for a moment and lose faith for another. You could have faith in God for one thing and don't have faith for, um, to, on him for another moment. It happened with the disciples of Jesus. Jesus made Peter walk on water for a moment. And then when he saw Jesus in the world, when he saw he was walking on water, all of a sudden he doubted, he sunk. 
They had faith and see Jesus doing miracles, raising people to, from, from death to life. And Jesus said to them, I'm going to get arrested. And he did. He said to them, I'm, they're going to crucify me. And he did. They believed that. And he says, in the third day, I'm going to rise again. And on the third day, that bright morning, all the disciples got together and said, we're going to the tomb because Jesus is going to rise. We believe what he says. Guess how many of them shows up? They didn't believe it. They doubted. They doubted. So you can believe God for something and another time don't believe him. Though James says because faith can come and it could go. So James says in verse 24, this is what James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. So James is saying, yes, faith come by hearing, but faith stays by doing. Faith come by hearing, but faith stays by doing. So it's not about just hearing the Word of God. It's about putting the Word of God in practice. And when you put the Word of God in practice, God is ready to deliver at any time for you. And you have faith in God, and that faith stays with you. So you know what it means to believe in God. When it says to have faith, it means to believe. It means to trust. But some people say, you Christians are always talking about faith and believe and trust and all this thing. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to believe? I travel, but one of the things that I do when I'm going to travel, the night before I don't sleep. For about six hours, I get on my chair and I just sleep. And sometimes the food is passing by, the drink is passing by, and I see it, but I just can't wake up. And I'm just sleeping. And when I get there, sometimes they have to wake me up. Never do I get on that plane and I call, hey, come here. Who's the pilot? Can you tell him, can you tell him to come out here? Hey, how you doing, man? Um, are you truly a pilot? Where's your license? Show it to me. What school you went to? Where's your, show me your grades. I don't do that. I don't do that because I have faith in American Airlines. I know if they've done it before, they're going to do it again. If you know what it means to have faith in American Airlines, you know what it means to have faith in God. Don't you? So I go to the doctor and you go to the doctor. And when we get there, they put us in that little room. And they make us stay for about 30 minutes to show that they are important. They have important things to do. <laughs> so he's sitting there for 15 seconds. I thought I had an appointment. For 30 minutes passing by and he walks in. And then after he does what he does or she does what she does, and she says, she starts writing something and says, go, here, here, go to the pharmacy. You don't understand a the thing they wrote. But yet you go to the pharmacy, you get that pill, you don't know what's in there. And then the next morning, why do you do that? Because you trust your doctor. You have faith in your doctor. So if you know what it means to trust your doctor, I sure know you know what it means to trust God. Amen. Amen. Everybody in America knows O.J. Simpson. Well. Very famous. It was June 12 on my birthday. I woke up and I saw that Bronco on the highway, that white Bronco. O.J. Simpson got arrested. The glove was there. He had a cut in his hand. 
OJ don't know anything about the Lord. He can't defend himself. So he went out and put his trust and faith on Johnny Cochran. OJ walks in that courtroom. OJ does not say a word. With the glove and with the finger, he was acquitted. Because he chose to have faith in Johnny Cochran. So if OJ knows what it means to have faith in Johnny Cochran, you know what it means to have faith in God. If I, you know what it means to trust your doctor, you know what it means to trust God. If you know what it means to trust American Airlines, you know what it means to have faith in God. And that's all that means, to believe, to trust, and do what God says. He says, if anyone who listen to the words but does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Before I say what I'm going to say, if you know a Christian, because he's speaking to Christians, not to non-Christians, a Christian who doubts God, I'll show me a Christian who doubts God, I'll show you a person who is unstable in everything they do. Show me a Christian who doubt God, and I'll show you a Christian who is unstable in everything they do. James says the word of God, James says, James says the word of God is like a mirror. So anyone who listens to the word of God and does not do what it says, it's like someone who sees himself, sees his face in a mirror, and looks at it, and after looking at it, goes away, immediately forget what it, look, what it looks like. You see, a lot of people want the Bible to be a, a, a camera and not a mirror. A lot of people want the Bible to be a camera and not a, not a mirror. Let me tell you the difference between a camera and a mirror. A camera captures but a moment in time. You see, when somebody tells you you're photogenic, what they're trying to look you, say to you, you're not that good looking. <laughs> but the camera shoe favored you in that moment in time. Right? That's what they're trying to tell you. So a camera, a camera, a camera captures but a moment in time, but a mirror reflects now. A camera shows you what you want to see. But a mirror shows you what you need to see. A camera is usually merciful and friendly. A mirror is usually brutal and honest. A camera is friendly, but a mirror is a friend. The Bible may be brutal, but the Bible is your friend. You see, when you, you see, we don't like mirrors. We love cameras. The reason why we buy so much, so, so expensive phones, eight, nine hundred dollar phone, I guarantee you it's because it has a mirror, it, it has a camera in it. And guess what? Not only you could take selfies and take pictures, but at the very moment you could take the ones that you don't like out of the way. And then for a moment in time, you capture the best picture with the best smile, the best part of you, and you post it on Facebook. Where do, we put where do we put pictures and where do we put mirrors? We put photos in the family room. We put them in the hallway, in the foyer of the house, in the entrance of the house. Where do we put mirrors? In the bathroom. <laughs> because they're not friendly. We put them in the bedroom. We don't want people to see them because they tell the truth. 
We tell the truth. And that's what we do with the Word of God. That's what we do with the Bible. Listen, you, there's only three things you could do with a mirror. You can decide to ignore the mirror. After you see yourself, the mirror says, uh-huh, that's you. <laughs> and like, no, 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 that may be me too. No, 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 no. That's you. You, t- you bring the picture and says, look how I look like. It says, yeah, that's your friendly camera. But I'm telling you, that's you. And we can see it and just ignore it. Because it says, hey, listen, man, the tie you're wearing now, it have a spot on it. You need to go change it. It's like, ah, uh, ignoring it. Or we can smash the mirror. All right? I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want you to show me. We just break it. We don't have to deal with it. Isn't it what we do with the Bible? We could ignore the Bible. Or we could begin to break the Bible apart. Oh, it's not true. Well, tell me who wrote it, right? Begin to tell everybody that the Bible is not true. We smash the Bible because we know what the Bible is saying is true, but we don't want to live up to the standard of the Bible. So we give it a bad name. Or the third thing you could do with a mirror is after you look at yourself, you can make correction. You can say, I see, I see me. I see me and I see a lot of me. That's not good. And I'm glad that you're telling me that. And I want to change that. I'm going to work on that. You see, the blessing of the word of God is not, in, is not in its hearing. The blessing of the word of God is in its doing. It's not in its hearing. It is only when you take the truth you hear on Sunday morning and do what it says during the week, that's when you're blessed. That's when you or bless. So James, so Jesus says, after James speak now, let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you want the proper result or a bad result, but let me just tell you what the result is when you listen to my word and put it into practice or when you listen to my word and not put it into practice. This is what he says in Luke chapter 6. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, when the torrent strike, when that house, uh, uh, that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put it into practice is like a person who built a house on ground without foundation. And the moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. Jesus says, this is the result when you hear my word and put it into practice or when you hear my word and don't put it into practice. He says, the one who hears my word and don't put it into practice is like a person who, who, who's building a house and then they just build it on the ground. No foundation. They just build it on sand. And guess what? Every house looks good when the sun shines. But when hurricanes strike, when the wind blows, that's when you know which house was well built and which one was on sand. Jesus says, those who do not listen to my word, they are a person who lay their foundation on the ground. And the moment the hurricane comes, the moment it strikes, your house 
will collapse. Every single one of us here is building something. It's either you're building a career, you're building a, a house, you're building a, a, a marriage, you're building a family, you're building something. And then everything looks good when there's no trial. All, all marriage look great before you have a problem. All churches look wonderful before there's a crisis. All family look great before there's a sickness in the house. But let me tell you something and pay attention. You cannot fix your foundation while it's raining. You cannot fix your marriage while there's problem. You got to look up. You got to look up to God and say, God, please save my marriage. God, please save my life. God, please save my career. God, please save my children. God, please save my life. You can only cry out to God. But God, Jesus says, but the person who hears my word and put it into practice is like someone who is about to build a house and they went deep down until they find the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ on whom we stand. That solid rock and build the foundation and the torrent come, the hurricane come and strike it, but it stays strong. When trials come in that marriage, because that marriage was built on Jesus Christ, the solid rock, the marriage remains strong. When that family is struck by crisis and trouble, because that house is built on Jesus Christ, that house remains strong. That church remains strong. That life became strong because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you go to trials and you go to tribulation and you go to all kinds of things and then at the end of it, you're going to be standing and looking back at it and says, God took me through this. Now, let me say this to you. You have to trust God. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have faith, you have to trust and do what God says so that you could have the faith to pray for wisdom, for that peculiar wisdom, so that you could have joy even in the midst of your trials. And God says, You don't even have to do anything to have that joy, you don't even have to do anything to have that peace in the midst of your trials. It's the day, you know, when you know that word more than conqueror. If you ever read it in the Bible, this is what it means. It's the difference between the boxer and the boxer's wife. See, the boxer gets in the ring, and he fights, and he gets punched. He got knocked down, but he got up, and he knocked the guy out. He is a conqueror. But the wife is sitting there caught side and saying, go ahead, honey. He got $3 million. She gets $3 million. <laughs> Without taking a punch... Without throwing a punch, he's a conqueror. She is more than conqueror. What God is saying is, if you put your trust in me and do what I say, when your trials come, the reason why you're able to smile is because I give you the Holy Spirit to fight on your behalf. You don't even have to fight. All you have to do is to open your mouth and the Holy Spirit do what it says. Come on, let's get on your feet. All you have to do is trust God. And you can be more than conqueror. 
You can have a smile in your face. You can have joy in the inside because trouble may come, but trouble will not last always. And God make a promise, I will be with you. I will be with you. And I'm going to fight for you. All you have to do is trust God. That's the reason why you can have a smile. That's the reason why you can have a joy. Because God will be fighting your fight for you. For no weapon from against you shall prosper. And he who dwell within the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, before I pray, let me say this last word to you. The sermon is not over when I'm done preaching. The sermon is not over until it's done. After the preacher preached the sermon, the sermon is finished, but it's not over. Now you have to go home and put it into practice so it could be done. That's when it's over. It's when you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday put it into practice. God says, now... The sermon is over.